dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. We all know that Christianity is a religion of peace. We long for that peace, and we long to bring that peace into the world. What then could our Lord have meant when he spoke in Matthew chapter 10, verse 25, of his mission to bring a sword? And what does that mean for you and I in our own Christian lives? How is it that our leadership brings both peace and a sword? Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for being here. I really value this opportunity to speak to you because you know as well as I that if we don't take the time to reflect and to go deeper in our understanding of Christ's mission on the earth, our own mission will remain vague in our minds. We're not able to lead if we don't know where we're going. (laughs) The easiest way to not get to where you need to go is to not know where you need to get. (laughs) I think of this a lot of times in our families, you know, because we, th- we hear all the times that we're supposed to be leading our family spiritually, leading our family spiritually. And then, you know, sometimes people around us say, well, you know, like, why aren't you leading? You know, I want you to lead more. I want you to lead us spiritually. And then, you, you know, an easy response, if you don't know what to do, is to simply respond, well, where am I supposed to be going? If you knew where your family was supposed to be going, it would be a heck of a lot easier to bring them there, Right. It's like the, the, the biggest problem of leadership isn't our strength and it's not our grit, it's not our determination. The biggest problem of leadership is our vision. And so in the same way, all of the different places that we're called to lead in our family life and in our businesses, in our professional lives, in our society, in our, you know, we, these different moral questions that can come up with schools, for example, School choice, school curriculum. Back in my day, I remember it used to be about the books that they would allow at the book fairs, right? And, I, and, I, and it was cool because recently I've met a Catholic man who got fed up about bad morals being brought into books by book fairs that he actually started his own nonprofit, small little company that goes around and presents good Catholic moral books for Catholic book fairs at Catholic schools. And I smiled when I met him because I remember those book fairs and I remember the companies that would come in and that there were times where the books were, we were told, don't get that book or this book is not a good book, you know? And so here's this guy who comes up with a new idea and says, I'm going to do Catholic books for Catholic schools. I thought, what a great idea. So beyond all that, right? Look, what do you do? Back in those days, we would have all kinds of parents were mad about the books that were being brought into schools and well, today we give our kids iPads, right? And, and then we, we force them to use the iPad in the school, whether they want to or not, saying that that's how we're going to educate them now. And who is it that's policing all that? And should we even police all that? 
And how, how is it that we, you know, and then you'll find certain parents that say, no, we shouldn't even care about that. And others that say yes. And right there, you've got an example of leadership. How, how, who is it that's setting the course for the moral questions, the cultural values that are in our schools, in our sports teams, in the places that we exist as a society? There's a lot of people that turn around and say, well, nobody, because you can't impose your morality on someone else. I get that. There's a lot of validity to that point. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to assume disrespect for someone else's moral positioning. But the thing that kind of drives me crazy here is that with, with that, you know, intact, the respect that we always need to show other people's moral positioning, when someone claims that there is no morality, they're actually making a moral claim. In other words, the idea that you can have a neutral position with respect to the morality of our culture or the morality of your family or the, whatever. Like if you want to look around you and say, you know what? We don't bring religion here. We don't bring morality here. You're making a moral claim yourself. You are instituting a new form of morality in those very conversations. It's like this strange paradox. You cannot have a vacuum of thought. Someone is providing thought leadership all the time. In the conversations that you have, for example, around the dinner table, you go out, you go out to eat with somebody, right? And then you're talking with them and then they say, you know what? We're not going to discuss religion or politics. Well, that's a moral claim. And that's actually a political claim. And it might even be based upon a religious sentiment. <laughs> you might, in the name of your religion, which is that there should never be conflict about religion, or the name, in the name of your politics, which declares that politics should never be one of disagreement, you actually declare that there is no religion or politics to be discussed, which is perhaps a fine option. But at that moment, you are leading the attitude and the atmosphere of that conversation. In other words, to claim that there is no one leading, this is just, this is the big problem that I have with what we're doing today in our world and what's happening in your families. We claim that there is no one leading, that we don't need a leader, that someone, someone else will lead always. Leadership abhors a vacuum. There's always someone leading. My question is, why isn't it you? Because when you lead as a Christian, you take that mission of Christ and you appropriate it into your own life. Christ did not come into this world without a mission, without a focus. The, the passion of our Lord and the drive behind his whole life was in order to accomplish his mission. And his mission was to impact the culture, to impact the world around him for the Father in various ways. And he gives us those various ways through the gospel. I have come to bear witness to the truth. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. He reveals in different points of his life why he has come. Now, I just want to look to you and say, you Christians listening, do you know why you have come? Do you know why you have been sent by God? Do you believe that the job that you have is more than a job, but a mission that comes from God? Do you believe that the family that you founded is more than just a, a happenstance of love between two people, but that it actually is an intent by God that every child he has sent to you, he has entrusted to you as being his own child for you to rear and bring back to him 
who is the father in heaven of that child, right? If, if you do, the purpose of your life and your sense of purpose just skyrockets. And as our sense of purpose skyrockets, so too does our passion. And as our passion skyrockets, so too does our fulfillment. The key to fulfillment in our life is regaining the purpose. And religion is all about that purpose. And the purpose that is proposed by Christianity for you is without parallel, without equal in the, on the whole surface of the globe. Your purpose has been given to you by the blessed Trinity. And it is to bring this world back to the Father in the Son with the motion of the Holy Spirit by the actions, the thoughts, and every moment of your life. And this this bringing into God, this bringing into what is holy of this world makes that our secular occupations and the political sphere and all, everything becomes an opportunity for me to bring light and healing and peace where this world is calling out for it. My friends, our, our crisis today is not the enemy on the outside. It is the apathy on the inside. The enemy around your family is not all of the moral threats that are raising up around. It's the failure of leadership on the inside. The more that I can inhabit the heart of my family and bring the spirit of God into my family through me, the more that I can be sure that we are stronger than anything that we will face on the outside. Remember that great quote from 1 John chapter 4. He says, The spirit of the one who is in us is bigger than the one that is in the world. When you're afraid of the world and afraid of what's happening on the outside, don't look to the outside to wane in order for the threat to diminish. Instead, augment the spirit of God that is on the inside so that the Spirit of God on the inside fortifies you to bring to what is on the outside that same light that shines in your hearts. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. So go ahead and open your Bibles then to Matthew 10, 34. This is the exact spot where our Lord reveals this mission. Matthew 10, 34. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. All right, so... This is uh, quite a passage. This is, uh, again, Matthew 10, 34 through 39. And it's one of those places that, 
you can, of course, interpret wrongly. And one of the easiest ways to interpret wrongly is thinking that he brings a sword in the sense of Christ condoning violence. That's not what he's talking about here. As a matter of fact, in the parallel gospel, it's not, I did not come for peace, but for division, right? So that word sword has to be understood in terms of division, especially based upon what follows after it in verses 35 to 39, where he's talking about the various divisions that can take place because of him. In fact, it didn't just start here. It goes all the way back to the beginnings when our Lord was born. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 33 all the way to 35, where it says, And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign of contradiction, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Incredible, right? This is a prophecy made about Christ when he was a little baby. He will be destined for the fall and the rising of many. He will be a sign of contradiction. In other words, a sign that is spoken against. And again, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, you have another passage that's very similar. It says this, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. All right, in both of these passages, you have the same idea, and that is that the presence of Christ commands a response from our hearts. He does not allow us to stay neutral. And that response is a response that will determine us in a way that shapes the culture around us. Remember what I said before, leadership abhors a vacuum. Someone is always leading. Someone is always influencing you, your family, your employees, your workspace. Someone is always shaping the culture. And that's what's so great about being an American is that our culture is up for grabs. If you want to make a point loudly enough, and if you want to influence the people around you and shape our culture, you can't. That's the great American dream is that you can achieve prosperity and you can do so in a way that helps other people at the same time. And this is great because the challenge then goes to us. Do we want to bring prosperity? Do we really want to create a workplace that changes the lives of our workers? Do we want our work to be meaningful? It's like, if you do, then you can. If you want to be a leader, then you can. I think we can understand why it's such a perfect culture to fit the gospel and the world of, and tasks of evangelizers. If you want to bring the gospel, you can. Found your church, build your camp, work with the people, create a school system, effectively bring people into the knowledge of Christ again and again in a sustainable way. I mean, our culture it typifies this principle and gives room for this principle 
This is what's one of the greatest reasons that America is such a blessed land. It's because it's a land that encourages leadership. My challenge to you is to not let that great opportunity go unanswered in your own life and in your own family. Because if you do, someone else will take the leadership from you. And instead of our culture being a culture that's positive, family-based, reflecting the values that are found in God's holy word and reflecting the values that are perennially creative and sustaining of a civilization, we end up allowing our culture to be corrupted from the inside by all kinds of other values, the values of materialism, the values of hedonism, the values of Epicureanism, I mean, and those are just fancy words to say money, power, and sexuality. My friends, we live for something much greater than those three things. We live for something much greater than our stomachs. But we need our leaders to create this culture in an intentional fashion. And I'm here to say that's what Jesus came to this world to do. He didn't want to stay neutral or have his followers remain neutral. He came not for peace, but for the sword, meaning to cut and divide like a two-edged sword by his truth, the, the ways of God from the ways of other forms of influence. He wanted his word to be the influence that shapes. And when we allow him to shape us, will we, like him, become a sign of contradiction? a word that is spoken against. We become someone that is for the rising and the fall of many, just like our Lord. It's not a question of being opposed to the culture around us. It's simply saying that following Christ makes you a leader for everyone else. When you follow Jesus, you lead those around you. You cannot help but do it because it's the very nature of Christianity following the two-edged sword of the word of god it sets you apart it makes you different father nathan has founded the saint john institute the mba program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind visit our website at stjohninstitute.org dare great things for christ you know i I like very much uh, one of the cardinals Uh, God rest his soul, of Chicago. His name was Cardinal George. And I like him very much because he's a very intellectual cardinal. Uh, He died a few years back. Um, But when he was with us, he was a radiant light, and he gave many good teachings. And one of the things that I remember him saying was to be careful about the expression countercultural. And I remember because at the time I was using the expression left and right. So when a cardinal that I respect tells us to be careful about the word countercultural, I listen. And the reason he said that he didn't like the term wasn't because he was, he was against any of its positive meanings or connotations, but for this point, he said, our call is not just to oppose the culture or to push back against the culture. Our call is to lead the culture from the inside to its fulfillment. And I thought, now that's really a wise statement. And this will mean that, yes, therefore, you know, I, I will, there will come times where that leadership is a kind of countering influence, like a shepherd that defends the sheep from the wolves, right? He counters the wolves. 
or the doctor who defends the body against sickness. He counters the sickness. So there's an aggressive stance, of course, but the culture is not just something to be opposed. That was the point that Cardinal George was making. Culture is itself neutral. It's waiting for someone to claim it, to lift it up. Think about when you have a party over at your house. I mean, and everyone's sitting there waiting for a good conversation to start. So when a good conversation starts and everyone starts laughing, the gravitational pull of the party just kind of goes to where that laughter is. Or when people really engage in a great a discussion and debate, it's like people walking through are drawn into it. This is a way for you to claim the culture, claiming the space, right? You filled it with intelligence, with intentionality, and you were able to do it in a way that lifted other people up too. If you can keep that conversation going, everyone will leave saying this was a great party. But it takes an art and an effort to do that. It takes an art and an effort to really nail a gathering, to, to create an ambiance at a retreat where everyone feels safe and uplifted and individually spoken to by Christ. Those are just two examples, right, where this happens. But where the creation of a culture is done from the inside, Instead of opposing the silence, for example, you fill it. And instead of bemoaning the, the way that our culture could swing to the negative, you grab a hold of it and bring it to the positive. This is where, what I think our, our Lord is talking about when he says that he came not for peace but for the sword. He came in order to effectively impact the world. And the way that he impacts the world is by this amazing truth that he gives just a few verses after that. When in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Christ, in other words, is not proposing some sort of negativity or condemnation of the culture without purpose. He's instead teaching a fundamental fact. And that is that nothing in this world is more important than God. Nothing might seem less urgent than God. Nothing might seem more on the side of the normal way that we live than God. But that doesn't matter. What matters is nothing is more important than God. He's making a pivotal claim about his presence in our lives, saying that his presence is the axis upon which the world of our lives is called to spin. Now, you have to be God to make a claim like that, right? C.S. Lewis makes a beautiful commentary on this, and he says, Our Lord was either a lunatic, a liar, or the Lord. You can't say, in other words, that Christ is just some sort of nice uh, figure who comes and teaches us you know, truths that make us more or less happy. That, that, that's, that's absolutely inconsistent with the scripture that we just read. When he says anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it, he's either lying and he's a charlatan who's fooling everyone because he can't deliver the goods and you would lose your life for him only to found you, find that you lost it in vain. And that would be a tragedy. Or he, he is, in fact, a lunatic because he thinks that it's true when, in fact, it's not. And with all due respect for all those suffering from mental illness, it's still, a, when you're off kilter from reality, this is not someone that you're going to want to follow, which means that he is either the Lord or he's not. 
And we believe that he is the Lord. He's proven it with so many miracles. You couldn't even fill every, the whole world could not fill the books that could be written about the miracles of Christ. You, he, he's, his truth is consistent and, and impactful. The question is not, therefore, is he the Lord, but is he your Lord? Are you willing to bend your knee in front of the King of Kings and then serve him by leading in his place wherever he has put you? This is the call of the Christian. We've been called and signed by the cross of Christ on our foreheads and we're carrying that cross through our hands and our feet and our words and our actions into this world today because he came with this incredible proposition that he himself is capable of being the foundation and the pillar for the culture of our world. And what does that look like? It's a culture of open arms pierced hands, eyes that are like flames of fire, and a heart from which flows forth streams of living water. It's a culture where the Holy Spirit of God breathes over a broken and tired world and rejuvenates it. It's a culture where the dead rise and the sick are cured. And the word of God is spoken and fills the minds of believers. This is a very positive thing. And this was Cardinal George's point to us all. That when he says Christ came for a sword, it didn't mean that our call is to just cast down or throw stones, so to speak, at our culture. Kind of a culture of negativity, pointing fingers all the time at where things are wrong. That's a part of shepherding everybody, but it's only the first part. The first job of a, of a, med, of a doctor is to diagnose the illness but that's where his art begins, not where it ends. In the same way, we have to diagnose illnesses, of course, in the pro prophetic stance of the Christian. But we're called for something much more than that. We're called to make this, this impact on the culture by lifting it up from the inside with this beautiful truth. The human heart can never be filled until it's poured out. You know, people talk about that sometimes. They say the heart has a little God space and God comes and fills the heart. And I think it's, it's fine and it's true, but it's, it's also an incomplete image. Even better is to say that my heart is called to be constantly opened, wider and wider, to not try to contain God, but to give it. And when we give God forth, our culture is impacted so positively and so permanently that in fact the word of God reigns in his truth and Jesus can liberate those around us because that's why he came after all. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.